Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us for the show today. This podcast aims to explore a biblical life view in a conversational tone. Let's join our host and founder of Servants of Grace, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have the great pleasure of welcoming to the show Deepak Raju. Deepak, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. Yeah. Um, Can you uh, please tell us about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects that you're working on? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I'm a pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C., which is uh, downtown D.C., five blocks behind the Capitol building father of five spectacular kids, uh, ages 14 all the way down to five, and then married to my best friend, Sarah. We've been married since 2001. We met here at the church uh, 18 years ago. Uh, I do a lot of things as a pastor. That's my main job. I teach, officiate weddings, uh, do membership interviews, but a lot of my time is focused on doing counseling. And some ministry projects I'm working on now is I, I want to develop some kind of um, groups model that we'll do within our church. I need to do some editing on a child protection policy to revise it. I'm prepping to go to teach overseas at a seminary in a third world country. Just a wide variety of different projects I'm working on alongside of the main pastoral ministry stuff that I do day to day. Yeah, you definitely stay busy. And that's interesting that you're married to a Sarah. My wife's name is also Sarah. So what a great Mine's name. A Sarah. Mine's a Sarah with an H. I don't know what yours is. Mine's a Sarah with an H too. Oh, yeah, very cool, very cool. Uh, what a great, I have a great wife, so um, it's, she has a great name. So, Can you uh, tell us a bit about your book, Pornography, Fighting for Purity, why you wrote it, and how it's being received? Yeah, thank you. Um, it's a little bit different than the typical book on the market, where the typical book on the market is going to give you a lot of good principles and stories and, uh, and help you sort through how to fight pornography. This is a 31-day devotional which means um, every day you're getting uh, not only um, a scripture text to think through, pray through, learn from, be equipped with, but then a devotional that meditates not only on the meaning of the text, but specifically applies it to the issue of pornography and masturbation. So each day has a a short entry along with um, very specific application questions and even practical steps for the reader. Uh, And overall, I think it's been well-received as has the whole series of devotionals that were released with it, which was the other ones were grief and doubt and contentment and addictions and adultery. Yeah, I, I just I thought that these devotionals that you edited, um, and you you are the series editor, were very good. Maybe maybe you also want to just tell us since you're the series editor, uh, why why did you how did you come up with this series? Well, a- actually, I wasn't the brainchild. This is um, Amanda Martin, who's the editorial director at PNR Publishers, uh, had the idea of um, really doing a what we might call just a more a new genre of, of Christian literature, which would be focusing on um, devotional material, but applying it really to specific struggles or situations in people's lives. We, we wanted to really to take um, scripture and work through 30 to 31 texts to help people see the power. Well, basically, we're, we're taking scripture and applying it to people's lives and helping to see the power of God's word and how it applies very specifically to their circumstances. 
uh, how, how, I mean, there's two more that are about to get an offer, and we've got every, everything from forgiveness uh, to um, the ones I just mentioned, grief, adultery, contentment, addictions, um, to working through conflict in, uh, in marriage and um, engagement. It's, just a, it's a wide variety of topics that are being covered. Oh, excellent. Excellent. Um, we know that the world and our culture has thoughts about the good and bad about pornography. How do we understand pornography as Christians? Voluntary in that have chosen this sin and we choose it when we get uh, when we do it again and again and again and again and with each time we choose the sin we get further and further enslaved to it uh and as our life comes under these ruling or controlling desires they begin to rearrange how we live and what we do so i found those two terms because you'll often hear people describe pornography as slavery but they miss out on the part of well i i've made What are some of the biggest challenges in ministering to those in our local churches who are stuck in pornography? Well, uh, bad accountability, uh, even though folks want to help, that doesn't presume they know how to help other people wisely. Uh, And so we want to help them know what good accountability looks like. Shame keeps people isolated, uh, which is a typical strategy of the evil, evil one. If he can keep people away from the fellowship and encouragement of God's people, then we're gonna we're gonna struggle even worse than if uh, than we did otherwise. Um, pride keeps people from listening to the counsel of more mature Christians, and so people end up um, fighting things on their own by their own understanding, by their own wisdom, which is not going to get them very far. And yet, humility is going to go a long way in helping them fight their sin. Uh, leaders preach about sexual immorality, but don't really preach a robust, beautiful vision of the gift of sexuality. So it's no surprise we've got members walking around with distorted perceptions of what sex is based on their own sin, but also based on the, the, the limited, more narrow views of sexuality that are, come from the pulpits. And leaders don't teach or equip or educate or encourage transparent, honest relationships. They just don't. It's not that they disagree with it. They just they don't talk about it. They don't encourage it. They don't pray about it. It's just not a part of some of their normal dialogue. Uh, you mentioned the the pulpit and um, those kind of things. Um, what would be? Do you think that it's appropriate for pastors to do like a series on biblical sexuality, or should they just uh, you know, as they're working through a book of the Bible, those kind of things, uh, just talk about it then, or should they have like specific times, like for men to talk about biblical sexuality and women, or where where you at on that kind of thing? I I, I think it'd be all all of the above plus more. And when you get to a place in the text where the application of the text falls in line with dealing with sexual sin because the text speaks of it, then there's ample opportunity to apply uh, apply this to the sexual sin struggles um, going on in your congregation. But you can also preach a series on it, but I don't know that you have to have a topical series because you've got an entire book of the Bible dedicated to the beauty of sexuality. Uh, having Song of Solomon there in the canon. The Song of Solomon is not preached enough by pastors because of the awkwardness of preaching on a book that is so bold and beautiful on the topic. Yet that, that, that would be a simple yet straightforward step in helping to address the topic. And then topical stuff, seminars, equipping classes, giving out good material are all options in, uh, in leaders helping equip their members. 
Excellent. But we're, we're talking, the next question is, is just that, equipping members of our churches on these topics. So how do pastors and ministry leaders equip women to minister to other women on topics related to pornography? Yeah, well, the first thing is uh, uh, the foundational building block is uh, teaching them a, a Titus II discipling, that is, when older women ministering to younger women in the faith. And so you're working to develop a culture of investing in one another and in discipling one another. That that goes much, much larger than just simply the topic of pornography. This is just what a church should look like to begin with, uh, having people in Invest in one another uh, is a fundamental part of what it means to be a Christian. So it's a fundamental part of what it means to be connected to one another in a local church. Uh, but if you have that, then what you have is older women who are invested in the lives of younger women who are engaged in their lives. And so as they struggle with sin and uh, impurity or all kinds of other issues, uh, it's just going to come up in the course of normal life. They're, they're just going to be talking with one another doing life together, uh, and yet you still want older women to take initiative to ask about this issue, uh, to not presume that this is simply a man's problem. Because a lot of the world, and, and even our Christian culture, talks about this as a, a, a man, a, a men's struggle, that men are primarily the problem uh, in struggling with this, and yet there are a lot of women, there's a growing number of women who struggle with this too. And so it's, it's, it's doubly shameful for them to not only admit it, but then Yeah. Uh, you know, the last thing is you're, you're going to always be working towards as a pastor equipping the saints to do a work of the ministry uh, of Ephesians 4. So you're teaching them both publicly, like we mentioned earlier, from the pulpit, but then also privately. You're instructing, educating, equipping, encouraging, exhorting them to fight against sexual sin, to put it to death, but then also to grow in their faith and godliness. That is so good. And I, and I just loved your answer uh, there because it it, what she said was, is that, you know, not only the, what the place of the church is, but that it's not just an issue of pornography. It's an issue of, um, your, your assigned gender. Um, which I think that is so, so missed in this conversation on this topic, quite honestly. Helping men and women become the men and women that, that, uh, God wants them to be, as you so beautifully said earlier about, uh, biblical sexuality and, a, and a vi- promoting a vision of that within the local church. So thank you. Thank you so yeah. much for saying that. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, how do, how do pastors and ministry leaders equip men now to, to minister to other men on topics related to pornography? Yeah, so the answer is going to be similar. Like we mentioned before, the foundational building block is that developing that whole culture of discipling and investing in one another. Uh, that's the larger picture that goes beyond the pornography. And leaders need to think about developing a culture where they're equipping the members to be um, caring for each other. But then as you do that, then you start naturally having men who are taking the time to meet up with other men run into uh, this issue because they, you don't even have to try to look for it. And if you're a man and you're actually spending time with other men, you're going to run into it because it's so pervasive. So the, one of the things I, I say to pastors, though, practically, is a third thought would be um, if, if they're spending time helping members, so, you know, you're meeting up with a man and investing in him, uh, why, why spend all that energy and not actually at the same time equip others? So, for example, if a man's coming in and talk to me, talking to me about his sexual sin, I now ask him if it's all possible logistically to at least every 
every third or fourth meeting have his discipler present so that as I minister to that guy and help him sort through his sin, I'm at the same time equipping other men in the congregation to know how to help. You know, when they see the pastor asking questions and applying scripture and pressing into sin, I'm not, not just teaching them principles, I'm modeling for them looks like to come alongside another guy and care for them. That's uh, really helpful, and I and I like that. Could you maybe give us just, uh, you know, briefly, even you can use me as an example, um, if you'd like, uh, what does that look like? What, is, what, would that, what, what would that kind of meeting look like without getting into obviously specifics and just being as generic as possible? Yeah, I mean, it, it would be like a guy comes in, we pray. If I've been regularly talking with him, I get an update on where he's at with his struggle. Uh, we sort through... If there's been a fall this past week, we think about how much the sin is defining him, what the firewalls are, are there cracks in his firewalls, how do we close the loopholes, but then we, we don't ever stay narrowly focused on the sin. We expand it to, okay, how are you fighting for faith? What does it look like in your marriage? Or how are you being faithful in your workplace? And are you serving? What does that look like? And just expanding it to what does faithfulness as a Christian look like? Because often the roots of sin are found in multiple places. So it's not surprising a guy who's struggling with pornography is also being prideful and arrogant in his workplace. So I'm, 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 I'm looking for a broader view of things, not just a narrow view of just his pornography. But I don't, I you know... I end with making sure if we haven't spoken about it already in that meeting to the disciple or like his or his observations of this guy. Uh, what's he seen? What's he finding? Or things that I'm missing that he sees that would be important to know. And then we have a three-way conversation at different points in that meeting, digging through together pastor, discipler, and struggler. You know, what's, what's the best way for us as Christians to help this guy who's struggling continue to persevere in faith? And the lastly would be things that the That's really helpful. Um, just kind of a follow-up question. Um, you know, so so you know, when when somebody comes to us and they share with us about their struggle, what what should be what should be our what should be our what should our body language be, and what should our response be to to that uh, person? They're they're coming out and they're sharing it maybe for the first time. Let's say, yeah. Well, well, sharing it for the first time, and that's the key word key words that you mentioned. That's a huge step of humility of coming out of darkness and into the light. And that's, that's really significant because, as I said earlier, the evil one wants to isolate people in the darkness. Because we know mold grows in the darkness, not in the light. So also our sin does that. So we're, I, I want to do everything I can to sow a gracious disposition and encourage someone who's modeling some kind of humility in dealing with their sin to recognize, like, first, Thank you for being honest with me about your sin. Thank you for confessing it to me. Uh, secondly, I want to uh, help him sort through it. Like, for example, I want to help him think about whether that sin is defining him. That's often a first part of a conversation. The person's coming stuck in sin, and the sin has so ruled their life. Their, their identity can often become so attached to this sin, but 
a Christian is that they're a treasured possession of Christ. And I want that to be their primary identity. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to, at the very beginning, help them fight that sense of, uh, I, I'm a porn struggler first. I want them to think, no, you're, you're, you're God's son or daughter first. And I'm work, working through that with them. So, I, you know, it's not unusual in that first conversation when I ask them, has this sin now defined you? And you see someone starting to tear up because it really has, and they're in a despairing or a hopeless place. Uh, so, I, I, you know, that's really what I want to work through first. And then you start working through uh, issues of, uh, I think, the firewall, because if they're coming to you at that point, there are all kinds of ways in which access is getting them in trouble. And so I'm wanting to shut down shut down the access and take some more radical steps with that. And, and, and though I don't want to spend all my time there because too many people see that as their salvation. If I just cut off all the access points, I'll be okay. But that's not true because then there are heart issues that reside behind that. And the work of the access point and heart issues are conversations that you have that first time, but then you have again and again and again because you're constantly shutting down access points and you're constantly encouraging them to be honest about their heart and orient their heart towards faith. That's a great answer. Thank you so much. Let's say, you know, we're talking about pornography and um, somebody saw this and they're struggling right now with this issue um, and they, they want help to fight against their pornography addiction. What would be your top three or four piece of advice to them or to their Christian friend to help them walk them through this? Well, we mentioned the uh, the uh, the part about not letting the sin define them. That's usually my first conversation. Uh, helping them sort through what really is primary to their identity, uh, and then being radical about that firewall that they have. So Matthew 5, Jesus talks about cutting off your arm and gouging out your eye. He's using hyperbole with a purpose to show just the radical disposition we have towards fighting our sin. And then uh, I'll describe the sinful flesh often as starving uh, starving a beast. You know, it's, it's, it's a, like a monster or a dragon or a beast our sinful flesh, and what we want to do is we want to make no provision for the flesh, Romans 13. Every, every time someone looks at an image, it's like throwing meat to that dragon, and, you know, the dragon consumes it and never gets satisfied. It always wants more and more and more. So I, I want, I, an overall strategy is I want to starve those desires, and I want to starve those desires over the long term. Uh, so that, that's why we cut it off, and we're radical about cutting it off. And then the, uh, a fourth thing would be I want to I want to fight any of those desires with the much greater desire for Christ. Um, faith puts our ultimate hope in Christ, not our hope in a strategy or some kind of accountability or some kind of change of circumstances. So we fight our carnal desires by putting them to death, by starving them, like I mentioned. But we also do that by the power of a greater affection, which is growing our love and our faith in Christ. Mm. That's a couple of things I can mention more. Go for it. That's some of the themes I would want to hit if somebody came and confessed to me. Yeah, definitely. Uh, say more, please. I, I'm loving that, if you'd like. Well, you know, uh, the, 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 the more it goes into things like, for example, uh, there's an internal war in their heart. And what a lot of guys struggle with is coming to understand what are the motivations behind uh, their, their hearts, what, what's really driving them. It's too easy to assign this simply to a lust issue, whereas lust is involved. There, there's so many other ways in which a, a man acts out uh, because he's wrestling with things in his own heart. 
like loneliness, boredom, a, a desire for adventure, a desire for affirmation, fear of rejection, just all kinds of things that, that a, a man wrestles with. And so we want to dig those things out of his heart and kind of help him to come to understand what he's wrestling with. Mm, great answer. Um, so kind of switching gears uh, now, in addition to your book, what are some other great resources to help equip Christians on the topic of ministering to those stuck in pornography? Uh, well, uh, a favorite of mine is Heath Lambert's Finally Free. It's a, one, it's a single book, chapter book that helps biblically and also practically a struggler think through how to fight through the struggle. Uh, a shorter version, um, David Paulson's article, Sexual Sin, The Wider, Deeper Battle, is an excellent single article or, or, or chapter. And if somebody wants to find the article that's in the Journal of Biblical Counseling that they can find at the CCEF, Christian Counseling and Education Foundation's website, www.ccf.org, or in um, in Justin Taylor and uh, John Piper's Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, uh, there, that volume has a larger chapter of that same article. And then because masturbation often is the the ugly stepsister of pornography, Winston Smith's booklet on masturbation is actually really set, really helpful, short treatment of how to think through the subject as a Christian. Yeah, uh, you just mentioned uh, masturbation. How how should we think about masturbation as Christians? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things you want to think about. Um, uh, uh, it, it's it's easy to see the problem of masturbation as some kind of lesser sin, some kind of sin that uh, if we deal with the pornography issue, nobody's going to really care about masturbation. And yet, I, I think masturbation is just another way to feed the flesh. It's, it's another way to feed, feed our selfish desires. And so I think we have to have just as much vigilance in, in fighting that than as we do with pornography. And usually they, they go together, not in every case, but often. If a guy is struggling with pornography, then masturbation also uh, comes along with that. Um, sometimes a guy will get to a really good place with pornography, and yet he's, he's still struggling with masturbation because he's trying to find a way to still get out those sexual sins. Uh, the, well, the lusts and the desires that are he feels like he's still wrestling with. And, uh, and so I, I just want to equip guys to know how to fight sexual sin in general that will include masturbation. Yeah, that's really helpful. What is uh, what is good Christian accountability versus bad Christian accountability? Well, four, four words I'll give you for good. Um, honest, frequent, local, and tough. So honest basically is saying you're going to be uh, uh, brutally honest, uh, honest with everything in your life. Otherwise, you're making accountability a waste of time. So hiding things and not sharing the entire truth or even worse, lying, is basically undermining your friend's ability to help. Uh, so uh, giving your accountability partner the nitty-gritty and the ugly details is, is only going to actually help you actually get good accountability. Hence, uh, Proverbs 24:26, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. Uh, sin naturally pushes against this and wants to conceal and deny, but redemption beckons for us to be truthful in everything we do. Frequent is better than infrequent. Uh, sin daily works to muck up our lives, so if we let it go and check for a long time, it makes a mess of things. So we want just repeated pressure on our sins to help it slow down and even prevent the mess. And then local uh, accountability is much more useful than distant accountability. I've often talked to men or women, and you know, when I ask them about their accountability partner, they'll respond 
uh, they've got a good friend from a few years ago who lives in a different state or even a different country who still checks on them. And I, I want their accountability to be localized to their own church. Now, now, while technology helps us, so email, texting, Skyping, FaceTime, uh, allows us to stay in touch with relationships that are significant to us, I just don't think it's, I think it's as ideal as having someone in your own local church that you have to see every Sunday who you can meet up with and, and have these hard face-to-face conversations. I think that is our ideal. As image bearers, the most effective way to receive help is personally present your yourself and your life and your sins to another person that will regularly see you in your own local context. And then tough, that fourth part is uh, basically being intrusive. Accountability serves you well if a friend presses into your life and roots out the sin. And make sure that you find uh, someone then that's willing to ask hard and awkward and really direct questions. You know, did you masturbate this week? Did you lie to anyone this week? Is there anything you're hiding from me? You just want someone to be really direct with uh, with that. I think those four words describe really good accountability. That's uh, that's really helpful. What is the place of uh, the local church in helping those stuck in pornography? Yeah, there's a, there's a couple of things you want to think of in terms of a local church. Um, first and foremost is going to be preaching. The, uh, the centerpiece of any church is the pulpit and the, and the word that is taught every Sunday. Uh, and so... Our life is sustained by feeding off of the word. Uh, man should not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses said that in Deuteronomy, and then uh, as he's standing on the the uh, the plains, uh, uh, looking on to the promised land, his final words of exhortation to the Israelites, and then Jesus repeated those words as he's fighting with the devil and is facing the temptations in the 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, so uh, we, we know that we're sustained by the Word, by the, the living Word, Christ, and by his, his, the written Word that He's given to us. That's the first thing. The second thing would be uh, Christian community, you know, being connected, uh, a member, that means accountable, to a local church. Uh, individual Christianity is an anathema. There's just no such thing as me doing this on my own. And I can't survive on my own, so I need discipling and accountability within my own local church. But, you know, the the difficult thing about a sin like this is you quickly become a consumer of all kinds of things that you need to help you. And yet you don't want to lose sight of your disciple of Christ. And so he still calls you to give over your life and serve others. Uh, So I, I, I need to be just as active in finding ways to not be so focused on myself because the sexual sin is a a selfish sin, but be focused on how do I actually build up the body of Christ? How do I serve my neighbor? Mm. Uh, if, if I'm just a consumer alone, then I don't get what Christianity and the gospel really is. Um, so Mark chapter 10, 43 to 45, the Son of Man didn't come to serve, but to be, didn't come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And, and, and right before that, you know, Jesus calls us uh, to actually serve one another. That, that, that's the basis of Jesus even uh, calling us to serve one another is the fact that he himself didn't come to be served, but to serve each other. So we just want to find ways where we can just be faithful as Christians. Mm, wonderful, wonderful answer. Um, so there's a lot that we could really talk about about this. And I know that we've, we've, we've dove into this and to help people understand how to counsel and, and care and be a good Christian friend and all those things. But um, just as we wrap this up, do you have a few takeaways? Yeah, a couple of things we'd want to say. Uh, first, uh, as, as 
as possible as this might seem for some strugglers, it really is possible to live a porn-free life. Uh, I, I know a struggler thinks, uh, especially if they've been embedded in this for so long, that that, that thought just it, it seems impossible. Yet uh, uh, I know the example of men, for example, even in our congregation, who are years removed from that sin and have grown up in maturity and are serving faithfully in our own local church. Some of them are even serving as uh, elders and pastors in our own local congregation. And, and God has equipped them uh, to be faithful ministers of the gospel in, in their own in their own settings, in, in caring for people in their own life. And yet I, what I see is in those men, I see men who in their 20s and 30s struggled with this pervasively and fought and fought and fought and got help and was in the Word and came to church. And over the long term, uh, as they learned to fight it and, and put this sin to death and grow in faith, it went from six months to a year, to several years, uh, to having a great degree of freedom again. And yet, the, the thing that's noticeable about these men is that they, they remain vigilant. It's not. It, it's when we let down our guard and pride creeps in that the evil one then undermines us and, and we go ahead and act out again. And yet, it's noticeable how they, they still take active steps to make sure to protect themselves because they know the power of sin to undermine them. Any point. That's the first thought. So the, the possibility of a porn-free life. The second one is you just got to take a long-term view on this. You know, the longer someone struggles with it, the more it's going to be ingrained in their life and even affect their biology. And much like turning a cruise ship rather than a tugboat, there's a long turn in, in order to actually get someone on a, a different path and build momentum in a different direction. So this is not an overnight success. You need to be prepared. The longer you've been struggling with this, the longer it's going to take to fight it. Yet, it's, like I said in that first point, it's not impossible. The last thought is that it's a spiritual war. First uh, Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So being wary of getting caught up in just the practical and the tactical strategies, we just don't want to lose sight of the fact that this is a war for, for our souls. Uh, that, that there's a, a, a bigger spiritual battle here when we're talking about sexual sin and fighting for faith. Mm. Deepak, um, I have thought about these these matters for a couple of many years, and uh, you've helped me just to think even more about this. So I, I've really enjoyed this conversation, and um, I just thank you so much for the time that you've given to me and to our listeners. And I just pray Christ's continued blessings on your ministry at Capitol Hill and in your writing ministry and, um, and anything else that you're, you're doing. So Thanks, Dave. appreciate the time. Glad to have this time with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you were encouraged by today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. For more uplifting and thought-provoking content, please visit us online at servantsofgrace.org. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Servants of Grace and on Facebook at facebook.com slash servantsofgrace. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you next time.